On today's show, we have an incredible guest, Pat Lencioni, one of the most famous consultants in the United States. He's a best-selling author. We talk about money, marriages, avoiding pain, what's wrong with our culture, what's wrong with everything, and how to fix it. Stay tuned. This is John with the Dr. John Deloney Show. Hope you're doing well, hope you're healthy, hope you're laughing, hope you've got joy in your life. And if things are hard for you right now, hope you got people that are walking alongside you. So glad that you are here. This show, we talk about mental health, relationships, everything. If you want to be on this show, give me a buzz at 1-844-693-3291. And when I say give me a buzz, really, you're just going to leave a message and Kelly gets it. And man, if Kelly calls you back, do they feel like they win something when you call them? I bet they do. No. No? I don't think so. If I mean, you ever called me, I would feel like I won something. Like hearing your voice is a joy. On the phone. Not in person. Not when I'm in trouble. It's like a good thing. I've called you plenty of times and you you didn't really seem like you felt like you won something. Oh. Well, just knowing my heart, I did. Kelly will call you if she selects you for the show and it will feel like you won something. I think I think, I think you will. Or you can go to johndeloney.com slash ask, fill out the form, and be on the show. Today, we have an incredible guest. Like one of the smartest men I've ever met. One of the kindest, most generous people. You know, you just meet somebody and you just think, gosh, I hope I could be like that person someday. Just because they're so generous and kind and wise and gentle and kind and hilarious and giving and all those things talking about pat lencioni and if you've never heard that name i don't blame you he works behind closed doors he's got one of the most successful consulting firms on the planet um he works with leaders he works with people behind closed doors helping them become better leaders helping them take care of their businesses and the reason i have him on the show he's has a couple of reasons number one he's written some of the most important books i've ever read the five dysfunctions of a team the ideal team player incredible, incredible books. And he writes in a way that is accessible for everybody. Um, that to me is the mark of a true genius. Someone who could take really complex ideas and write them. He writes in, um, in story and it's, it's just remarkable. And he's got a new assessment out that was originally designed for, for leaders, but as proving to really be revolutionizing, revolutionizing marriages, friendships, working partnerships, all of it. And so we have him on the show today, man. We talk about our cultural obsession with money, avoiding pain, trust, and vulnerability, and what that looks like in leaders and in people. What's wrong with business and politics? And we talk about code. We talk about everything on this show. We talk about it all. It's a blast. Put in your earphones or tell the kids to go for a walk and listen to this one with Pat Lencioni. Okay, so hey, you you work with leaders all over the country. How'd you get into this? Like, how did this start? That's a great question. I was a kid. I, I didn't know it at the time, but I was a kid and my dad would come home from work and say, and he'd complain about work. I didn't know what work was. And then he'd talk about his manager. I didn't know what a manager was, but it wasn't good. And I remember thinking, that's dumb. You know, I like my dad. I love my dad. I don't want him to be like that. I didn't like that he felt that way. And I remember as a kid, that was always planted a seed in my head. Then I, I went to college and I, we were relatively poor. And so I needed to get a good job. And a management consulting firm said to her, hi, and I thought, management and consulting, that's exactly what this is. And it had nothing to do with that. It was all number crunching. Right. So I struggled for two years, but then I, that, I got my first view at business. Huh. And then I said, okay, I'm interested in that, that human part of this work. And so I, there wasn't really a field for it. No, it didn't exist. No. And so I started doing things and pursuing that. And uh, the next thing you know, I was, you know, 
thinking, do I go to work? Steve Jobs offered me a job to work at Pixar. Oh, wow. And then Eric Schmidt offered me a job to work at um, Novell at the time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, no, no. I love, I love this field. So me and a few colleagues started a company mm-hmm. 24 years ago and said, let's help all companies get healthier. Mm-hmm. And we didn't have any books or anything like that. We were just going to go out and consult. And by the grace of God and that true north of like, I really want people to enjoy and be dignified in their work. That's how this came about. Hmm. I don't have a graduate degree in anything. Yeah. Um, but because, you've got 100,000 hours sitting knee to knee with people. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. right. And, and I almost went to graduate school a few times, but there was not really a like for what? program yeah, for that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I was like, I, I think that I'll just be back here trying to get this job again. Yeah. So that's kind of how it all worked. Wow. And so if you look at the arc of business leadership and health over the last 24 years till now, where are we? Um, well, like so many things, it's, I think it's kind of bifurcated. I think there's some really healthy leaders and companies out there and there's some really unhealthy ones. Yeah. And I think that uh, a lot of young people are, have now grown up seeing a lot of these Silicon Valley leaders mm-hmm. who are what I call selfish, you know, self-oriented. They're mm-hmm. reward-centered. Like, what do I get out of this? Gotcha. And so they watch the, you know, what's the movie about social, the oh, social so, network? Yeah, yeah. And they're like, yeah, that's the way, that's what a leader is. Mm-hmm. And they see all these things. So there, I think there's a bifurcation. There's those people in the world that are like, no, I got to, I got to be a, a humble leader. I got to serve these people I work with, servant leadership, which is the only kind. Right. But then there's others that, that see, watch TV and see the famous ones and go, hey, it's all about being cool and pretty rich. So I think there's a real bifurcation and it's, it's a battle. You know, I, th- I, I want people to realize if you're not a servant leader, you're not a leader at all. So right. that's what, all there is. Why, 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 you've worked with them. I've worked with them for years. Why, I, it seems like you can tell people all day long that money doesn't make you happy. Enough of it does. Let's be honest. Having money is better than not having money. But it doesn't solve the hole in you. And it, you cannot tell somebody that. You literally have to ex- experience it and then say, I'll see you when you get back. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know. That's the one thing. I can tell somebody don't do drugs and they eventually are like, go have fun with your life. Cocaine will ruin your life, right? And eventually people... I buy that. Or, hey, don't do this. I, but money, that conversation is the one that I can't seem, I've never been able to break through to myself, to anybody around me. It seems to be this carrot that's always moving. Yeah. And I suppose for some people, it depends on how much money they need in order to realize that. Ah, uh, okay. Like some people need like, oh, I become, I made this much money and I have a nice, and this isn't making me happy. I think this is the wrong path. Like, like Mike Singletary was the coach of the 49ers years ago. And I, and uh, he, he was a football player. Oh, yeah. And he, and he used to wear a cross. Huh. And they'd say, why do you wear the cross? Have you always done that? He goes, no, no, I, I, I started doing this after my team won the Super Bowl. And they said, what do you mean? He goes, because after we won, I wasn't happy. And I realized that's why. Uh-huh. So he needed to win the Super Bowl to realize it wasn't about winning and fame and all that other kind of stuff. And maybe somebody makes their first million dollars. For another person, they might have to make $100 million. Some of these guys have, have made billions of dollars. I don't know what Jeff Bezos lives for. And they're still chasing it, yeah. Yeah, it's going to outer space. Yeah. To me, it's just a drug. Yeah. It just, he's just still- Every person I've ever worked with behind closed doors is it's, it's a drug. Yeah. And whether it's, it's, and it's a small scale, like whether it's another publication or in my nerd world or this or that, it just keeps moving and moving, right? Hey, you know, a great quote, I think it was St. Augustine who said, 
whether a bird is tied down by a chain or a string, it doesn't matter uh, because it still can't fly. Wow. So whether like it's that. pornography and prostitution and cocaine or money and fame and 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 that it to me it doesn't or matter. Or being the biggest baddest associate director of the mailroom. No, it absolutely. doesn't matter, no. right? Absolutely. If you make your kingdom the the wherever you happen to be placed, it ends in ash every time. Man. Every time. Every time. I wish there was a prophylactic way. I wish there was a way we could get upstream and tell, I could tell my son that. And it just seems to, that seems to be the drug, man. Well, and I try to do, to tell my sons and other young people, I'm like, listen, so I've done better than I ever thought I would do in my life. Yeah. But I realized years ago, this doesn't matter. Absolutely. And let me tell you, when sometimes people recognize me, so I'm not yeah. like a famous guy, but sometimes I'll be someplace, my kids will see me, people talk to me, and I'll go, just so you know, that doesn't matter, feed me. <laughs> exactly. That, you might think that's cool. Yeah. But I used to think it would be, and then I realized you can never get enough of it. Right. That's a, that's a false. That's, it it that's was when I was in the bathroom at a urinal, and somebody came in and started talking. A, I was like, ah, that's kind of weird. And I was new to it, so I'm trying to be kind. And then they said, hey, man, let me ask you something. And I realized, oh, we're going to do counseling here. Like, well, like, this didn't happen. You know what I mean? And that's what I realized. This is not. It's different. Now, right? the, the opportunity to help people. is it, Yes, it's, it's incredible. That's the gift. And if you weren't on the because, – but because you're sitting here and there's a camera here and, right. there's, and people know about that, that doesn't make it different. No, that's right. And I'd rather – be living someplace where people didn't know me and I was doing something that God intended me to do and mm-hmm. I was a good person and I knew and I had faith. That's, that person is more successful than a famous person who looks happy when they're on TV and then goes home and feels empty. Yeah. Huh. And I try to scare the hell out of people with yeah. that. So how, how has, give me an a insight in the last 24 months, 36 months, you've been, business has been on fire, right? Our, and Somebody asked me the other day in an interview, they were asking me about, you know, you know, what's giving all these kids anxiety? Was it the mask or not? And I said, I think what's driving childhood anxiety right now is that we've got millions and millions and millions of people telling them, rightly or wrongly, that your teachers want to kill you and your churches are failing you and you're and the, we're, we're terrified. It feels like our bedrock institutions have cracks in them and maybe they always have and we're just now seeing them for the first time. I've been at two different businesses on the, on the front end of this, and it feels like things are doing this. How are business leaders behind closed doors handling this stuff? Are, is it smooth sailing? Are they, is it exciting or is it terrifying? And then you just, like, you're a dad. You got two kids. You got kids. You got your husband. I mean, how are you handling that? Um, just so in case my kids listen to this, which they want, I have four. So oh, four. Two, two okay, of them will go, you. hey, what about us? Yeah, no, <laughs> no, no, hey, no. He specifically said he doesn't care about you two guys. <laughs> you know you know what I think? I think that, first of all, it's not exciting or terrifying. It, it's sad. I think huh. what's happening is people are wondering if life has meaning. Hmm. And see, and, and the blessing in this is this. Me, your GPA was never your meaning. Your your. The college you went to and getting that sticker on your thing was never meaning. Right. But it was, we were punting that ball down, the, kicking that can down the street. Now it's all full circle. Like, it's like, oh yeah, the school doesn't care if we, we're not going to play a sport this, you know, whatever, or we're closing this down, or the church doesn't think church is that, or whatever else. And people are like going, well, I was just kind of living for, and it's like, it's making people actually go, what is the meaning? Uh. And so I think it's just brought everybody up to the edge of the cliff. 
And it, it, it's a good thing when it brings you to your knees and you go, oh, okay. I mean, for me, I'm a person of faith yeah. of Jesus. And, and it's like, okay, that, he's all that matters. That's all I got anyway. That's uh, all I had before. But when I had, you know, my sorority, my, no, I'm not sorority, my yeah. fraternity or my college or my lacrosse season or football or this or my job, those were distractions that made me think life is okay. And now that when those grind to a halt, I think these kids are like, so none of this matters? Mm. So, so this is all, and the thing is, they were going to come to that conclusion where they did their senior year of college world, or two years after. Yeah, or 20 years down the road when their exactly. spouse drops dead. Yeah, yeah, it happens. Yeah. And the, all that stuff I thought I was living for, it is actually not that real. Mm. But, and so it's, this can be a really wonderful thing, but for many, they don't know where to turn. It's the worst thing. Yeah. What about, I'm talking to you as just as a colleague now, the, those of my friends that work all over the country behind closed doors of people, whether they're people on the margins the, or they are the top of the top of the top 1%. The folks who are working with those folks, I'm, I'm hearing a level of exhaustion that I've never heard before, a level of frustration and <sighs> this close to despair. In the helping professions. Yes. And so I'm talking to you as a colleague there, like as a guy who's just been behind closed doors, man, how are you? Well, I, um, it's this, uh, since this all, the last two and a half years have been the time of the greatest healing in my life. Okay. That's incredible. But that, by the grace of God, I started seeing somebody yeah. a few, couple, few, few years ago, wow. a faith-based therapist guy and came to realize that, uh, that there were wounds I didn't even know about mm. and they were actually propelling me to work harder and be more successful, mm. but they weren't satisfying me. Mm. That was my prostitute, yep. pornography, whatever else. Yeah. And so it's been during the same time. This has been a horrible, wonderful, frightening, painful, healing, fantastic time. Mm. I think that's how it usually goes. Yep. And I think that maybe for people who don't understand that there's a purpose to suffering, these last two years have been just all bad. Mm. But if it, if it woke us up to appreciating our spouse or our kids or our, certainly our faith and and little things more, then, it, then that can be a great blessing. But if all of our uh, stock was put into our career and our social life and everything else and all that gets taken away and that's all there is, it is absolutely terrifying. I, I, and it I, partly was for me too, but I was luckily I was exploring that at the same time. Yeah. Do you mind digging into that? No, not at all. What? Because um, that's the same drug I am addicted to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me about that. Well, like, I, th- I like being with a good trauma therapist. Would say, "Oh, that's not trauma," and like, "No, that is." And who's able to connect this dot to this dot to this dot? And suddenly, you're like, "Oh, this is the story, man. I'm running a script. I'm not. I'm the most unoriginal idiot in this." And I think I'm so cutting edge and doing it all. No, man. You know what I mean? Absolutely. You know, I, I uh, the, the, this therapist told me two days ago because I'm always worried. Like, I don't want to be proud. Uh-huh. I don't want to be prideful. And he said, "You're not. You're wounded, and you're shameful." Uh, you're afraid you're going to fail and let people down. And that's what's driving you. Not that you think you're important because you don't think you're important at all. uh, And I was like, I'm relieved to know it's not pride. Shame sucks though. (laughs) Yeah, There's a great theologian, Rich Mullen says that often people of faith can be as proud of the things they don't have as those who aren't are of the things they do have. He's yes. like, so you can s- pull up in your, your 1976 Corolla next to this guy's Lexus and be like, I would never spend money on that. And you're the same person all of a sudden, right? You know, I, I once heard and somebody it's shame, say, right? Yeah. I, some, I heard somebody once say that some saint said, humility is being able to look at a cathedral 
and be proud of it as though you had built it yourself. Huh. As opposed to going, oh, I could have never done that. That's I'm shame, such right? a loser. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. So, but, so for me, though, it was growing up thinking that my achievements were going to uh, earn me um, the love I was looking for. Yeah. And I, it, they just never do. And so you just keep going. I, I didn't understand that it was love. I thought I was chasing favor. And it wasn't until I realized, no, beneath favor doesn't, a lot of people tell you they like you and they actually do. They actually do like you. It's something deeper than that. That's really interesting because I said love and and I even hesitated, but you're right. Favor is what you think you want. Yes. But I mean, like I got plenty of favor now and it's not filling that hole. That's right. And, and granted my mom and dad, God bless them, um, weren't able to fill it, but, but. Some of that can't even be filled by your parents. No, that's right. Now, they, there were things that I didn't get when I was young. And they, who not, they, were, they had their own issues, but it was real. Yeah. But ultimately, and again, as a follower of Jesus, ultimately, I need to know God loves me no matter what I do, no matter what I don't do. Mm. And then that's going to let me perform not from a place of fear and shame, but a for, from a place of gratitude and service. Yeah, service, yeah. What's, what's one thing that you've adopted that's been helpful? Well, something I adopted uh, 13 days ago, it's been very helpful. Oh, fantastic. I did yes. an anti-New Year's resolution. That is, you know, New Year's resolution is about resolve, willfulness. I am going to do this. Yeah. Lose this. And every day I wake up now and I, I really try to just sit and go, whatever you have for me, God. God huh. When we say God's will, uh-huh. God's will be done, it's like, I don't care. I, I have a day planned, but I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Whatever yeah. you put in front of me, if there's a person that needs me or if there's something you called me to do or if something goes wrong at home and I'm supposed to be there for that, let me embrace that. Mm. And that has been 13 days, and it's a difference maker. I've, I've, yeah, that'll change you from the inside out. Right, and I needed that. It's an untethering, right? Oh, my gosh. This surrender, detachment, submission, all that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and I've been saying it, you know, your will be done. Yeah. It's like, no, that means my will is not. Willfulness is a problem. Right. Even yeah. though our society says, be willful, overcome things. It's like, well, work hard, do your best. But it, whatever he has for you, you want to seek that and embrace that. Mm-hmm. I can't say I would do that in my life. Yeah. I'd be like, yeah, your will be done as long as it involves me. Making this much money and getting this many clients. And yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Huh. That's hard. It, it's a daily thing. I have a new day resolution every day. And I don't I've even, never heard of that. It might be every half day. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how long we can go before having to remind ourselves of things. But it's certainly not once a year. And so every day I have to remember, and I'm sure that like I get halfway through the day and I'm like, well, sh- crap, here I go. I'm <laughs> yes. doing my doing thing again. again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, I, it's a constant, constant thing and it will never be done. And I just hope I'd never stop doing it. Yeah. And it, it, it gets me through when things get disappointing. I, you know, John, you know this better than I do. I think this whole idea of sadness and disappointment being something we're supposed to run from. Oh, man. There- uh, you're going to get me on my soapbox. I was earlier. I, was, I, I, I don't even know that achievements or I, I think our addictions and we look at them, we like whether they're drugs or money or achievement or whatever, working 90 hours a week. I think that our addiction is to not feeling bad. Yes, absolutely. We, and we have pathologized any sort of bad feeling. And if you know folks and I, off the top of my head, I just lost it. There's, there's a disease where you actually, lose pain sensory uh, we were just talking about they this the die yeah early right yeah. because they can't get the normal signals that their body's trying to tell them that this isn't this is this is not safe for us and when we try to go through life avoiding any discomfort then suddenly you get like we were talking about earlier off air with your kid like 
what you just said makes me uncomfortable. And now I have to ruin your life because that's the only thing I could do to keep my life from being less uncomfortable. Right. I, I think that that's so profound. We're obsessed with avoiding discomfort. Yep. Absolutely. And, uh, and the whole idea of that suffering has a, re- a reason and yeah. that it's I, – I like to ask this question to people. I say, would you rather go through life worrying all the time and then never having any things you're worried about happening happen or go through life not worrying but then have some bad things happen to you? Everybody says the second. Always. And yet we are so – and this is what my problem is. I'm always on high alert for trying to avoid anything that's going to cause me pain, suffering, dis- disappointment, or sadness. Yeah. Or worse yet, for my children. Yeah. That's that. That's usually childhood based. It's completely Henry Cloud I, I, is a friend, and yeah. he, he said one day, "This is what got me to go to counseling oh, okay. two and a half years ago." He said, "Pat, you got some childhood wounds there. You got to go okay, to, there you go." Yeah. And I did, and, yeah. and that's what's been going the on for the last alert. two and a half yeah. years. Oh, I've been I've been on duty trying to avoid problems and solve problems and avoid feeling. Yeah, for 50 even before years. I read the book, I remember seeing the title of Vander Kolk's "The Body Keeps the Score" and the the. The title was convicting even mm. before I read it. And it, it's a masterpiece. Before I read it, I remember thinking, oh, being on high alert 24-7 for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. I'm going to die young. My body's going to say, okay, well, I put my time in. That's all I got. Right, right, right. right. Man, there's a cost to that. So go, yeah. So uh, uh, an addiction to – man, I, I had a question here I was going to ask you. That, an addiction to not feeling uncomfortable – not recognizing that discomfort, pain, that's part of any sort of growth process, period. If you have an abscess, you have to have surgery. You have to be cut open, literally. Part of healing always involves pain. Part of growing always involves pain. And then I juxtapose that with what's happening in the working world right now. And you're much more in tune with that than I am. Um, it appears that there is a, it may have been bubbling for years and years, but a, an eruption of employers versus employees, this sense of you owe me, I deserve, it should be like fill in the blank. And you can make that up wherever, whatever, wherever you, industry you happen to be working in, wherever you happen to be living in the country, those, those things are different. But there's this sense that I should get the job I want and it should be, a track should be laid out for me and all of my care should be taken care of either by my workplace or my government. And so I just need to get in the right seat. I did all the right things, and that's not reality. You know what I mean? And then there's this Absolutely. also this pushback, like I don't owe you anything. I don't even have to treat you like a human. I don't have to serve anybody. I'm the leader. You, there's this weird collision. It feels like it's all coming undone now. People are just saying, you know what? I'm out. You know, it's interesting. Like in a personal relationship, in marriage, the idea is, oh, no, I want to overstep in terms of my grace for you. And, and that other person oversteps in their grace for them. Right. And then it, this is beautiful. Yep. And today we have this, but in, in a marriage when it's like, no, I need my 50%. I need my 50%. I'm not getting mine. Then it falls apart. And that's what's going on in society today. Huh. It used to be like, no, serve your employer. And the employers are like, no, you got to honor your employees. And I think that because we do have this and I hate using this word, although, I mean, it's the right word, but I don't know where it comes from. Entitlement. There's a lot of people out there that think that they're owed something. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not but a I see, I see it on both sides of the ledger. Oh, yeah, sure. I see my buddies in, who are leaders are like, they should be doing this. And I think, they don't have to, man. Like, you know, and the other side of it is that same, like, my boss should be giving me this and this and this. And it's, I think everybody, it's like a 360 degree entitlement. Well, what's interesting though, I mean, and this is, we're just talking about this now is, but that that manager 
is both a manager. So, so for the CEO and the line employee, okay, uh-huh. that's the purity. Right. But what about the manager of these yeah. line employees or them? They're both, they're on both ends. They're serving both, both sides of the fence. Right. right. And so, so what's happened to the, just the general attitude of why people are feeling like that. And I think it's, that's where I think it gets that institutional trust. Mm. And I do think that there's that, that, uh, Gosh, I don't know the answer to this. This is a fascinating conversation. I, 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 I'm, I'm making this up here. I'm spitballing it. The only thing I can think of is the radical movement in the last 25, 30, 50 years of uh, uh, publicly traded companies that we are no I, – I think Dave does something good here is he consistently puts the customer in front of us and says, here is Susan from Des Moines. We changed her life. Not look how much money we made. Look how much money we made. And it, 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 I think when you pull yourself apart from who you're serving in what your product is even doing, and it's just about how much money can I make over time, it goes back to that conversation we had a minute ago about that never that never fills it up. Right, service always does. Yeah, you know it's so interesting. I will tell you throughout my career, I've always really felt bad about companies merging and getting huge. Yes. Because human beings are meant to have relationship with their customers, relationship with their managers, and with the leaders of their firms. Yeah. And so the fact that they um, – that, that w- people feel so distant from their, from their organizations. And, uh, and so I think that you're right. I think publicly traded companies – when companies IPO, it's all, I'm always like my condolences because your life is about to get appreciably worse. Yeah. And – and frankly, so is the customer. Yeah, everybody loses. I don't know. Maybe they don't. Maybe, and again, no, I'm they so do. ignorant on business. They do. Yeah. The only reason a company should go public is because they need the capital because of the, it's it's in a capital intensive business. Gotcha. You know what I mean? And there's some. So you have to get capital. But so much of the if you talk to most people, they're IPOing because they want a short term payout. Yeah, they want to make my money now. Why, yeah. why can't? And I get it. That's the economics yeah. of it. But man, does it, is it not a good thing for the working world for the for the culture? And and what I what I'm really disappointed in right now, John, is that in this time in the last two years, the companies that are paying the price for all this government BS mm-hmm. are the small and medium sized ones. Mm-hmm. The big ones are making out like bandits. Have you seen the split? Yeah, the wealth generation over the last twenty four months has been astounding. Yeah, and it's, it's been astounding. And there is a different. You know, we talk about left or right or all these kind of things. There, there's an elite culture now. Yeah. And rather than middle class, midi, medium sized, real people, you know, subsidiarity, out working, serving the poor, yep. running a business, that's how a good society works. You have to have that. Right now, we are creating more people that are unemployed, mm. some of which just decide it's just not worth it to work. That's terrible. Right. And then we have these huge companies that seem immune from the, from the, the problems in society. Because they have sweetheart deals with the government. With or, everything, yeah. And it, this is a really bad thing. Mm-hmm. It's happened throughout history, but I can't believe it's happening in my lifetime again. And the, the, the magic word there is again. Like we know this. I feel like it's a guy who responded to that text from somebody at work and got himself in trouble. And then he healed his marriage. Him and his spouse went to counseling. And then 10 years later, somebody texts him and he responds again. I know. And you know where this goes, man. I know it. Man. So, you know, think there's always hope. We have to be realists. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But but we have to be Both realists hands. about yeah. what we see is wrong. Yeah. 
But one, the one thing I've learned is that I don't want to either give in yep. or get bitter. Yeah. See, that's the thing. That's the, I think that either one of those is such a flex. If you meet right. somebody who is who is clear-eyed and says, I'm going to do what I can tomorrow. Right. But but caving to a culture that you know is going the wrong direction and then yeah. is creating all this is terrible. Right. But then getting so bitter that it ruins your ability to take a walk with your dog or your wife, yeah. your husband, that's bad too. And so it, to me, I've been driven to, on my knees to yeah. pray. There you and, go. And it's like, this the best. Huh. All right. Hey, we'll be right back on the Dr. John Delaney Show. It seems like everybody's talking about how crazy the housing market is right now and how powerless homebuyers feel. Mix that with the stress of moving and life change and job change, and you've got a tornado of anxiety fueling one of the biggest purchases you'll ever make. This is not a good idea. So if you're a new home buyer right now, my advice to you is to focus on what you can control, like the people you choose to help you in the home buying process. You need folks like my friends at Churchill Mortgage. Churchill is a Ramsey trusted provider that's been helping people with their home mortgages for decades. And their home buyer edge program will help you skip a bunch of the stress. Here's how it works. Apply to become a Churchill certified home buyer and cap your interest rate for 90 days. Then you'll get a $5,000 seller guarantee to help your offer stand out. So go ahead, take a deep breath because Churchill has your back. Check them out at churchillmortgage.com slash Deloney and get the home buyer edge today. All right, let's get into some, I wanna, can we do like a, I wanna do a rapid fire. I don't get to talk to super great leadership minds a lot. Okay. Well, you're not today either, but I'm going to do my best. Help me with how a leader can do both or feelings and strength and power and humility. A leader's got to, there's a, I, here's, and here's what I'm getting at. There is a culture of feelings run everything. However I feel runs my day, my work, whatever. And everyone around me needs to be in service to how I feel. And there's also the movement, which is, you know, screw your feelings, nothing matters, just plow on, you know, drag it, kill it, whatever. And there's a a reality in between those two, which is, yeah, your feelings happen and you still got to go about doing what's right or doing what's necessary, et cetera. How does a leader, and that could be a parent, that can be a teacher, that can be a CEO, um, somebody on their neighborhood watch. I don't care. How do you balance strength and vulnerability, strength and humility and power? How do you balance that stuff? Well, I love this question now. And I like how you explained it to me because we are not meant to not be feeling. I think about it as parents. Yeah. Like if I present myself to my kids that I never have doubt, I'm never wrong. I'm never sorry. I'm, I'm never sad, which is a, a lot of parents can do that. That doesn't You'll make sense. Destroy to your children. Yes. Right? And uh, at the same time, if I wake up every day and feel like you're responsible for my feelings, my sadness, and everything else, and, and those are the two extremes. Now, most of us think the first one is actually pretty good, though. Like, kids, I'm fine. And, and that's not. I mean, I kind of grew up in an environment like that. My dad was like that. And I didn't understand what vulnerability was. And so I think the thing is, we have to say, hey, listen, first and foremost, I'm here to serve you, I'm your leader. I'm your parent, I'm your whatever, I'm your coach. Mm. I am here for you. Yeah. But I also have legitimate, valid feelings that I will share with you because that's gonna make you a better person to understand that I'm human 
and to play the role of helping me too sometimes. That's right. I mean, kids need to know they can support their parents. Yeah. Employees need to know that they can speak truth to their boss. Athletes on a team need to know that they can help their coach, mm. whether it's in coaching or in life or whatever it is. And to deprive them of that is not a gift. Right. So, but the the question we have to know though is, when in doubt, it when in doubt, it needs to lean toward the service to mm. others. As a parent, my feelings have to be just a little less important than those of my kids. Mm. But if I try to do that for too long, they're going to pay the price for it. Right. I've done that wrong for years. Yeah. I thought my job was to prevent them from suffering. Mm. And then it, it wound me up, and then it caused suffering for them that I didn't even know was causing them. Yeah. Which is hard to admit, but huh. so many parents I talk to can relate to that. So I got a, I got a call from um, somebody who I've known for years who's, long story short, uh, has a child who's getting in trouble uh, with the law and said, hey, I could get a lawyer and do this and do this and do this and maybe get them off, whatever. And I said, are you interested in solving this problem today, or are you going to help this child become a a, a healthy adult I said because if you're going to help me a healthy adult then you say i'm not i can't get you out of this but i'll hold your hand in the process and i'll go to court with you and i'll hold your hand and when you get taken away i will be the last hug you like that was and then they'll do their time and then we'll go about you know what i mean that to me was the the we're playing a long game with our kids right right but the, and I, so I, I can say this with fairly high confidence the difficulty of making the right decision there is because we're caring about ourselves. That's right. Yeah. Because if I go, so my son has to go to prison or to go to jail or go to juvenile hall or, or get in trouble, it, it can be smaller than that too. What does that say about me? That's going to be hard for me. I'll, I'd like to help them get out I'm of I'm going to be uncomfortable. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And, I, and you don't even completely realize at the time. Yeah. But if you can, the, the most selfless thing to do for them is to give them what they need, even if it doesn't give you what you need. Because I want to know that I'm being a good parent. I want to know that they're 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 happy right now. Yeah, yeah. And they're going to be happier when you get them out of trouble. Thanks, Dad. That was great. And you're like, oh yeah, they're they're happy with me. I've just kicked that can down the street. That's yeah. And then when they're moving back in with you, or they're asking for a loan. On, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, leaders and vulnerability. How does that work? You know. It's one of the most important things. Like, so in the five dysfunction of a team, trust is at the bottom of the pyramid. Right. I mean, you have to build trust on a team, and the leader has to go first. And you cannot build trust with another person if you are not vulnerable. Mm. And, and vulnerability is a powerful thing, but it has to be real. Mm. And false vulnerability is more dangerous than That's not having That's gross, man. It is. It's just like humility is it's great. Gross. False humility is, is, gr- is Anytime gross. Anytime somebody says, hey, watch this, you're going to cry. I'm, oh, I'm done with you. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I got yeah, nothing. yeah. And then it's performative. And, right. Yeah, exactly. Oh, so, so vulner- genuine vulnerability, which always is uncomfortable. Yes. If you're being vulnerable as a leader and you're like, no, I'm very comfortable with this. It's not vulnerable. That's not vulnerable. Because vulnerable gets you killed, right? That's, yeah. the, that's the whole thing. It's right. belly up, yeah. Exactly. Oh, uh, uh, the, 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 in Latin, it's, it's, it's liable to attack. Hmm. Oh, gosh, what is that? I can't remember the, the, the root of the word vulnerability. But the, the point is every leader has to be vulnerable. But when they, they go too far and they, they're using it as, as therapy, yeah. that can be very dangerous too. Yeah. And so it's one of those, um, it's one of those maturity things. Mm. It's like parenting though. No leader is immune to this. There is no leader that never did that. Yeah. And there's no leader that's never probably been falsely vulnerable we don't have and i'll say politically i think that may be the single missing element is a leader saying 
I thought this and I was wrong. And so here's what I'm going to do. If somebody would do that, I think it would galvanize people in a way that that you couldn't even plot on a chart and a graph. I do not under maybe it's maybe it's this John, maybe it's the kind of person that wants that job does not have that that skill yeah. or that capability because the kind of person that would be willing to do that would never do the things you need to do to get that job. That's But yeah. I don't know why people just don't say cuz I mean I've done it. Yeah, like, I have too. Hey, I whiffed on that. Yeah. Most people will say a coach that comes off the field at the end of the game goes, I made a hugely bad call there, yeah, yeah. and we lost because of me. People are like, that guy's awesome. I follow that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But somehow in politics. It's bizarre. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, but it's bizarre. I think they're being advised by people that, I don't know. It's, just, it's such an adversarial activity. I suppose it's like a lawyer, though. I, I, I guess if you went to trial, not too many lawyers would go, hey, I said this thing yesterday. I think you should disregard it because I realized that wasn't fair. Uh, yeah, and yeah. I think when you have an adversarial relationship, no, but the problem is that's why politics is not leadership. Politics is gamesmanship. Mm. And true leadership, too, too few politicians are really leaders. Mm. And I've met a few that are. Yeah. They usually don't get anywhere near the top. Huh. Because they're not playing. They're not playing. And, and if you're if you're competing with somebody who's playing by a different set of rules and you tie you tie one hand behind your back because yeah. you want to be that way, they're going to go, that's great. I'm just going to cut your arm. You'll arm lose off every right time. Now. Yeah. So it's an unfortunate thing. I don't know if it's always been that way. I, I, don't, I think media makes it worse. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I, I do wish we had leaders in leadership. Yeah, well, that, that'd be so nice. All right, what about leaders and mental health? Well, this is my, this is my, the thing that's most interesting to me right now. Yeah is that so many leaders are leading from their wounds. Hmm. And they don't even know that. They actually see their wounds as their strength. I mean, I did this for years. You know, I was achieving and, and had high standards and worked hard. And I thought, well, see, I'm a hardworking guy. And it's like, oh, no, you're terrified of failing. Huh. And that doesn't mean you can't heal those wounds and still be a great leader. In fact, you'll be a much better leader. Right. And so I think that... Uh, I think mental health of the leader is critical. How do you balance that humility with ambition? Because so it feels like a teeter-totter. And what I see people is they'll, go, they'll be making their money. They'll be doing a good job. They'll go to their spiritual retreat and they'll be like, oh, I'm going to quit everything and go work at Whole Foods. And, <laughs> or you have the other side that's just pounding the pavement over and over. And there's got to be a balance between, no, go like work hard and do good things and help a lot of people. And no, it's not going to... I don't know. What's the balance there? Well, it's so funny. I wrote an article 23 years ago. Yeah. And, um, and it was called The Trouble with Humility. Mm. And it's this teeter-totter. And it's like, here's how I look at it. And I don't know if this answers the question, but I just have to tell this story. because you, yeah. you made me, And it's like, humility is, I think that I'm no more important than the people that I lead. Okay. Right. That's really important to know. You're not. You're not a more important person. But my, ac my actions are more impactful than those of the people I lead. People uh, are watching me. And that's truth. That's just truth. Truth. That's right. And most people can't hold both of those things in mind at the same uh, time. I worked with a guy who was a really humble leader, and I'd say, Mark, you got to get out there and talk. And he'd go, why do, I, why do they care what I think? Mm -hmm. And then other people that are like, hey, I got out there and I inspired people, and then it's like, I must be pretty important. Uh, I'm more important than them. So you have to break that in the middle and go, my actions actually are that's stewardship, you know, that's really, but I'm, I'm not that important. That's a tough thing to do both of those. I used to tell my staff at, at the universities I worked at, 
if I didn't come to work for two weeks as the senior student affairs officer, if I didn't come to work for two weeks, a couple of y'all would know. If the person cleaning the bathrooms doesn't come for two weeks, this place stops spinning, period. <laughs> right. Let's be real clear about who's the most important in this building right now. Right. right. Now. You can never lose that. But as the leader, you know what was really important? Huh. That you were telling them that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So th- that was really important that you're – so you, you have to do both of those things. That's right. Yes. And um, and then you got to live it, right? I got to make sure that we are honoring the, f- the folks that are left in the margins at that workplace, right? Oh, my gosh. That's that, and I've got I've to go first. And whether I'm a parent or a dad, you want – I did an internship with a, or with a psychologist and I was asking him a question about, hey, how do, I, how do I tell my son to respect women? And he said – Respect women. He's like, yeah, treat your wife right. <laughs> it was like, it's uh, like you can tell him anything you want. He's just gonna watch you. But what would be another way? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, not that way. Yeah, it was I, a very simple. I was with my 15 year old this the other day. We were in a long drive, and I said, "Hey, you know I love mom, right?" And he was like, "Oh yeah." I said, "Because you know, sometimes we don't say the night. I, sometimes I don't treat her the right way, and she might not. She might be unhappy with me. But you know, we're in love with each other, and she's wonderful. Mm. And because I don't know." I never heard my dad say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I needed it. Yeah. And, and, and God bless him and my mom, but, but we, we have to model that. And it's, I think parents, we don't understand that our kids anchor everything into that sentiment. Yeah. Are those two people stable and safe? Oh my god. And gosh. if they are, the kids will swing off and rappel off and do wild things. And if they aren't, they will swing off and do wild things, but they'll let go. You know, they let go. And you know, if... Uh, if people are listening to this and they haven't done that very yeah. well in the past, you can just do it right now and trust God that it's going to be fine. It, well, it's, that's vulnerability, which is, you know, I, I had a guest on a few weeks ago and we're talking about is, is vulnerability or is it humility? It almost rests on a bedrock of, as you put in the book, it's just being trustworthy, being honest, saying, I've been telling you this and I was wrong. Right. This is the right way to do this. Or do you know how I treated mom for a few years there? Not that good. Was bad. Not good. Right. And you're going to watch me do better. Right. Yeah. Because uh, I know when people hear things like this, it's easy to go, oh, no. I didn't do that well. And it's like, no, start now. What's that old adage? What's the best time to plant a tree? Ten years ago. Yeah, exactly. Or today. Second the is second today. best is today. That's, That's right. right. Yeah. All right. Um, tell me about a time you've been wrong. Well, there's, there are many. Just one. <laughs> okay. I mean, uh, so there's big ones and little ones. I want a big one for you. What's the most public wrong? If you could go back 10 years, 20 years, you'd go, uh, I'd say that one. I'd say this differently. Well, I'll, I'll tell you an anecdotal one because I didn't know this. Okay. One, one, I mean, I wrote a book. Yeah, yeah. And I, I had the best title for the book. And I, I, we did use that title. It was called The Three Signs of a Miserable Job because mm-hmm. it was the right title. People would like that. You know, the five dysfunctions of a team, they liked the fact that it was kind of like dysfunction. What's that about? So I said, there's got to be the three signs of a miserable job. We published the book with that title. Nobody would take it to work. Because oh, it made him look, no. and yeah. talk about a boneheaded move. And so I was like, that was my call. Yeah. It sucked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we retitled it, the three signs, I mean, the, the, um, the truth about employee engagement. Oh. But, but that's, that's easy one. Yeah. Gosh. But, other- hey, that's an easy one, but that's a big one. I just went through the titling process for my new book, and it, that was the thing. I, I wanted to call it something, and the head of publishing here, Preston, he's, he's a, a saint, he said, Nobody will carry that book. Nobody will walk up to the counter and buy that book with that title on it. No one's going to carry that book around with them because ah. it's, it, and I, it's indicting on that. And I was like, oh, man, I didn't think about that. That would be a good article. Uh, yeah. But not a good book. That's right. 
So that's one. Gosh, I, I make a lot. I wish my wife were here um, and my staff. She actually wrote in. And, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I that make... was good. That was good. That's okay, good. Okay, good, good, good. Um, what's the time you changed your mind? Um, so my wife has been telling me we needed to leave California for a long time. Mm-hmm. And for the longest time, it was like adversarial. I was like, no, 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 no. And then I finally realized, you're right. For our future, we need to do that. Mm-hmm. So I had to say, your instincts on that and your, your, your passion around that is correct. So we're in the process of doing that. Yeah. You should, yeah we're going to be neighbors. I'm excited. Man. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Um, we have a path thought. We have an, an aversion to changing our mind. And as a guy who spent the last 20 years in, in working with scientists at, in the Academy, that's, it's, it struck me and, and you and I may have, we may have talked about this offline. The, <laughs> When, when, let's say with the COVID stuff, when, when King's College, I think it was King's College, whoever it was, laid out their first model and said, we think this many millions and millions and millions of people are going to pass away. Every scientist who was in that world said, fantastic, game on. Because the whole thing is peer review and iron sharpens iron. And I think you're wrong and this is why and I think you're wrong. And then within a few weeks, it had been revised way down. And then in a few weeks, it... And the whole process has been about how can we be a little bit less wrong today? That's, that's how scientists work. And I had just joined this team here in a media company, and I realized, oh, there's two places where you can't say, I changed my mind, media and politics. Well, one, science is now that one of those things. They're, oh, they're getting there. Well, that's just become politicized. Did you hear what Aaron, yeah. Rod- Aaron Rodgers said? If you can't disagree, that's not science. I mean, it's like fundamental. That's the science is the pursuit of truth through disagreement. And that's it. That's the whole enterprise. They canceled him. <laughs> They said they delist. They said you're not. We're deplatforming you on this. Oh, and it's I like, didn't know no, that. That was that's just the definition. That's it. That's it. So so, but the problem is, you're right. They politicize science. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because like right now, we should be going like this. Okay. And I can't believe I'm going to say this out loud. Yeah. Everybody, the people that developed said the vaccines do not prevent people from getting or spreading the disease. Now. Right. Well, that's okay. That's we're not. We learned. We learned. Yes. And so therefore, um, we need to take a different approach. Yes. But so many people are like, no, 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 but we already dug in on that. We have to continue. And it's like, no, you're losing credibility by it, the by the, it's by the, the moment. It's the credibility that that goes back to, yeah. But that when, is politics. When you lose credibility, yeah. And it's it's that just double down, right? Right. It, uh, we could talk about that all day. Truth, it, truth has to be, society breaks down when there is no longer concern for truth, but that I get to spin it this way or, if, or might doesn't make right. Yeah. Truth makes right. One of my favorite things, I know this sounds so counterintuitive, my favorite things to do is to be found wrong. Oh my gosh. Like, hey, you're, cause now I got a better way to do it. Oh, I, I think one thing, I think I'm pretty good. When, when I argue with my staff at uh-huh. work, the moment Cody or somebody says something that is a lot smart, I, I like to go, oh my gosh, that's so much better. Yeah. Or I'll go to work and they'll say, that's not what you said yesterday. And I'm like, you're probably right, but whatever I said yesterday, I was wrong. Then. I was wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm right I, today. It, that's liberating. It's it's such a free way to walk through the world. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Okay, uh, favorite book? Oh gosh, there's many. My favorite fiction book mm-hmm. is by is by uh, Dean Koontz, who's yeah. a great author. People don't know he's a very. He was like uh, he, back in the day. He was like uh, he was an alternative to Stephen King back in the day. Yes. Yeah. And, and the difference is King ta- writes about really dark things. Uh-huh. Koontz is a is a closet. Um, it's all about hope and truth and faith. Uh, and, wow. and you might not. I you, didn't know that. Oh yeah. yeah. And he has a book called Brother Odd. 
Okay. Which is one of my favorite books. It's I'm this Odd put, Thomas series. I'm going to put that on my, on my list. Um, you know, I, you, you got to say the Bible, because it, but it's not a book. It's, it's, more, it's many books. So yeah. that's a, and um, is there another book? I have this little book by a, a guy named Father Jacques Philippe. It's this little pink book. It's called The, uh, the Building and Maintaining of Peace. Oh, wow. And it's like, ama- the guy is like, where do you get, the, you get this? Uh, but anyway, okay. so that's, that's my favorite little book. I give it out. Favorite band of all time? Um, that would probably be Queen. Really? But not growing up. Yeah. When I was a girl, grew up, we thought they were odd. Yeah. Now I listen to their music. I go, who's ever done music? This is They're incredible. Phenom- yeah, yeah, they yeah. are phenomenal. Phenomenal. The huh. Eagles would be close. And- yeah, Dave loves the Eagles, yeah. Okay, so before we wrap up here, let's walk me through this. So you've got this magical new assessment. That's yes. incredible. I took it and... It's, dude, this thing, I hate getting nailed to the wall. It makes me uncomfortable. I do like being found out that I'm wrong. I don't like it when I don't realize I'm not a snowflake and somebody I've never met says, no, this is kind of how you operate. And I'm like, oh, man. Okay, so tell me about this genius, working genius assessment. Gosh, and now that it's so interesting because it tells me a lot. It makes sense given what you did before in colleges and uh-huh. universities and, and who you are on this show. So the working genius is this. There, there are six required skills to get anything done in life. Okay. You, any kind of project, running a company, running your family, organizing a family vacation, running a church, anything. Any kind of work involves six different skills. Okay. And every person, two of those are what we call your working genius. They give you joy and energy. It's a gift from God. You're naturally good at it. You enjoy it. You can do it all day long and you're not going to burn out. Awesome. Two of them are on the other end of the scale that doing it for any length of time drains you of your joy and energy. Yeah. It, it just, it's like, I was not meant to do this. And then two are kind of in the middle. You're pretty good at it, but it doesn't feed you, okay. but you can get by. Okay. So it's called your working genius, your working frustration, and then in the middle of your working competency. Does this work at home too? Oh, absolutely. Okay. In your marriage. Yeah. My wife and I had a huge breakthrough because we realized but we had similar deficiencies. Uh-huh. So both of us were constantly looking at each other going, why don't you do that? Why don't you do that? How come you haven't gotten on that yet? We're like, we both hate that. Uh, okay. We didn't have language for it. Gotcha. Okay. So we, this came out about a year ago and a quarter, almost a quarter of a million people have taken it. <laughs> yeah, this. dude, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's all over the place. The stories we're hearing from people. Yeah. We, uh, one guy called, he said, I thought my wife hated me. Hmm. You would love this. Yeah. And, I, and, he, and we said, what do you mean? He laughed. He goes, really? I thought she was pretty down on me because I had the, the genius of invention. That's one of the six geniuses. Which means I love to come up with new ideas. I'm a fountain of new ideas at home and everywhere. She has the genius of discernment, which is evaluating ideas and giving people feedback. Well, that wouldn't work or this would work better or maybe you should tweak it like that. He thought she was just against all of his ideas. Like she was like raining on his parade every day. And they literally did this on their anniversary. And she said, honey, my gift is discernment. I'm loving you when I do that. I I don't want you to feel like I'm against you. I'm for you. And they said it changed their marriage. Huh. Which is crazy. So that she was trying to love him in you, the way that she knows how, right? And he and, and truthfully, he probably wanted her to go, that's a great idea, honey. Let's do And she was like, no, no, here's what's not going to work about that. Oh, gotcha. So anyway, that's just one little example. I uh, love family. it. I love it. Okay. So who am I? You're, so there's, you have the first genius. Your first genius is the one that's at 50,000 feet, which is the genius of wonder. Okay. Which means you can ponder things and contemplate things and sit with like, big ideas, you know. That's comfortable for you. Yeah. And that's like the, the highest 50,000 foot head in the clouds level. You're like, what is this? That's where the, all of this comes from. <laughs> now, what's interesting is your second genius is enablement. Mm. 
Enablement is the ability to come alongside someone and support them in what they need. Uh, right? That's the old professor in me, huh? Well, yeah, and, and it's, you, were, you, you also were working with these teams yep. that you supported these kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you could see their needs and go, I know what you need. Yeah. So you are at the highest level a wanderer. This is a relatively um, rare type. Hmm. Not completely, yeah. but relatively rare. You're the idealistic supporter. Hmm. Like you have these ideals and then you're, you're there to, to support and help people. I told you, Kelly. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Then your, your working competencies are invention and discernment. These are my strengths. Okay. So you're okay with like, if you have to come up with new ideas, you do that. Yeah. And discerning other people's ideas, you're good at that too. But if you didn't get to wonder, mm. and if you didn't actually get to help people and see people benefiting from your stuff, you'd wither. Actually, and it's, it's amazing this thing pulls this out. Uh, it's when the big ideas come in and James says, okay, we got to turn this into a segment. And I'm like, uh, right, 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 let's right. just sit around and talk about it. And <laughs> exactly. he's like, well, the, the, we have to make a show. Right. And so how are we going to talk about this? We need talking points and so we need to put it in the prompt. And it's like, uh, how about we don't do that? You know right. what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. You're like, Hey, the fun part is done. Yeah, we're done. Or let's keep doing the fun part. Yes. The, then your, your two working frustrations are G and T. This is interesting. Making people do things that they don't want to do uh-huh. is not fun. I hate that. And then, then, then like the dogged last details of pushing things across the start, finish line. It's like the, most of the good stuff, we have to keep going until it's finished and, and I have to pursue that. That's not your thing either. Patrick, the last month, finishing, you finished a bunch of books. Oh, so other people have to push me. You know, those weeks when they're like, hey, I need this list done and will you check this citation, the font, will you look at, mm. dude. Yeah, yeah, it crushes us. And, and here's the deal. There are people in life, you could flip this upside down, I know a woman who's, a, who's great at the things you don't... She's like, we're going to finish, and I'm going to make you do it. And, and it brings her joy, huh? Joy and energy. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah. That's Kelly. Yes. And, then, and there are people... So, and what's great about this is, you know, at the highest level, this is about a, that we don't judge other people yeah. or feel guilty about ourselves. We had a pastor call in and say he had been feeling guilty about being a pastor. He thought he was bad because he wasn't good at sermons, at coming up with sermons. Hmm. And he knew so many pastors that could go out and go for a walk and come up with a great sermon. He did this. He said, I was a wonder. I, I had no wonder or invention in me. Oh, wow. But what he was, was a great like counselor. He loved to talk one-on-one with people. And he was, and that's another genius of a pastor, but he wasn't the big picture idea yeah. guy. And he goes, oh, I don't have to feel guilty about this anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to borrow people and they're going to help me with that. Yes. So that was a huge it's relief because we, we feel, we go through life going, how come I'm not good at the stuff I'm not good at? Because you're not, because God didn't give you that gift. So how do you, let's, let's take that pastor, for example. He may decide I might be better in a different role here. And it might mean, because the, the head pastor makes more money and the head pastor's on, on, but it might be for the sake of my sanity and my biology and my marriage and my kids, that I didn't take this role. How do you teach somebody to say, I know you've been working to be a president you're going to be the greatest number two ever. Like, how do you teach somebody that? That's so interesting. I, I, I honestly believe, so this, this assessment takes 10 minutes to fill out. That's what I'm so enamored by. It's incredible. It, it, you get the results back and people do it for themselves. The, the low hanging fruit of this, uh-huh. people look at their things and go, oh crap, I shouldn't be doing that. It's uh-huh. so convicting. Now, but the good news is this, there's lots of different ways to skin a cat and there's different ways to run a company. Yep. So I'm an ID. Yep. I like to come up with new ideas and discern the ideas. 
I can galvanize, but I don't like to do it mm. very much. I'm not bad at it. I still run my company, yeah. but I know how to tap into somebody else's G. So that you can actually be all different kinds of CEOs, but you can't do all the activities. So I've had two. The reason I had my career in higher ed is I had two different bosses, the first one and then the third one. They hired me and said, we are the, we're the vice presidents. We run this thing. I don't, we don't do public facing things. We are behind the scenes. You will be oh, you're perfect for the fight, right? And I, I, we will to make sure the budgets are good, that the HR stuff is done, all our people are taken care of and loved. But I need somebody out there to. And one boss I had asked me to go through, and I would text. There's a group of students here. I need you to walk through, and they would walk out and smile, and that just it, it drained them. But they knew it was part of. Does that make sense? Oh, those, those are such incredible self-aware leaders, right? Because they were filling the gaps. What a gift! Yeah. yeah. And so there's not really jobs where you'd go, oh yeah, I have to leave. Yeah. Um, we, we had a woman write to us after doing this and she had her own staffing business and she was ready to sell it. Mm. She was so burnt out and frustrated. She took this assessment and she goes, oh my gosh, I'm spending all of my time doing the things I hate. Mm. I can actually run this place and do the things I love and, and, and enable the people around me to do the things they love. Yeah. She reorganized, stayed in the business. It's doing better. She's loving what she's uh, doing. So it's just about that awareness and the humility to say, I don't have to be everything. Here's, can I tell you the magic part of this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've spent the last, and this has been especially convicting, um, the last couple of years just working on the show. I spent so long working with academics, working with people who are, who do wonder for a living, who are always thinking about deep things and trying to solve deep problems. And then you branch off of that into, I guess the nerd term now is the biohackers. These folks who have resources and they've got this drive and they want to take 98% and push it up to the top 1%. And they spend a jillion dollars to do it and they'll go get all this other help and support and a coach for this and a coach for this. And coming here has realized, made me realize there's hundreds of millions of people in this country just trying to get through the day. Yeah. And they are absolutely left behind. And then somebody like you comes up with this thing that takes 10 minutes. It's incredibly inexpensive. And then you gave these, you're such a, man, such a great gift. You gave all the listeners here a discount on this thing. It's, this is a kind of thing that can change millions of people's lives. We priced it at $25. That's what I'm saying. And we, there's a discount for, for, to make it 18, which put Ramsey in the yeah. code. But it's, um, we don't want anybody not to know who they That's are. That's what I mean. Yeah. And if you're like, there's kids getting out of college, like I was. But you know, my job when I got out of college that said was the best jo- job in America, I would have had to be an ET to do that job well. They're, <laughs> they're my weaknesses. Yeah. And if I'd known that, I'd have gone, I, I don't care if people think this is the best job in America. I'm going to suck at it. Yeah. Or imagine somebody taking this before they go to college. Oh. And like, I want to major in this. Or, and maybe they decide not to go to college because the things they want to do, they can already do. That's exactly right. Or a couple that is about to throw in the towel or somebody's about to respond to that text. Don't respond to it. Get online and take this thing and sit down with your spouse. This gives y'all something to talk about at, when y'all get together once a month and just say how, checking in with each other, right? Uh, when I look at a person, I really help. I, it's so helpful to know what they love doing. Yes. And I have a son who's 15. I know what his working genius is. I'm not going to parent him the way I parented my other kids, but I didn't know that until last year. And I was oh, like, man. oh my gosh, he's a wonderer inventor. Why do I think he's going to go and drill on uh, algebra every day? Right. If he gets a B in algebra, that's fine. Yeah. You know? So, man, your kids won the lottery. That's awesome. Well. So, hey, go to workinggenius.com, enter promo code Deloney, D-E-L-O-N-Y, 25% off. It's at 18 bucks. 18 bucks to figure out who you are. It's incredible. Patrick, thank you. It's you great are to saying, be here. Man, 
like, <laughs> I'm so glad you're moving here. Then we can for real be best friends. You don't have to be my best friend, but I'm yours. And, dude, you're just a wealth of knowledge. You're so generous, and so I'm grateful for you. It's always, a, it's always so much fun. It's awesome. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. One of the most common questions I get on my show is how do you get something off your chest, right? Like a deep secret that you've never told anyone. Or maybe it's something that happened to you. Or maybe it's something you've done that you're ashamed about or worried because you know bringing this to light is going to cause disruption across your life. All of us, every single one of us, have things both big and small that we need to get off our chest from time to time. And I say this all the time, secrets will kill you. But it's often so hard to know where to start. If you need to get something off your chest and you don't have a safe person to talk to, you may want to try therapy. Therapy is a safe, effective place to get things off your chest, to learn how to say scary and hard things out loud, and figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. I have personally been blessed to have a great therapist who I can talk to and who helps me get those heavy things off my chest. And if you are thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, it's convenient, it's super flexible, and it's suited to fit your schedule, whatever your schedule happens to be. You just fill out a brief questionnaire, you get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no extra money. Listen, it's time to get those secrets off your chest. Start with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Deloney today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Deloney. All right, as we wrap up, we always end this show with your favorite song ever. All right. And you came prepared with some lyrics. I don't even know what they are. Well, they told me Matt Marr is a is a Christian singer who lives in Nashville now. Okay, I don't even I don't I've never heard the name. Well, you know his songs. Okay. And everybody knows his songs. But he has a, a song called Hold Us Together. Okay. And it, it's 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 a great song. Yeah. It's one of those great songs. Very cool. So, I'll check it out. Okay. So yeah. as we wrap up, the music will fade up. They'll fade up the music. Read, read the read the lyrics here. It don't have a job, won't pay your bills, it won't buy you a home in Beverly Hills. It won't fix your life in five easy steps. Ain't the law of the land or the government, but it's all you need. And love will hold us together. Wow. That's what it is. I'll repeat that. Love will hold us together. I love it, my man. Hey, Patrick, thank you so much, man. You made my whole year. Thank you so much. Thanks, man. Take care. We'll see you soon on the Dr. John Deloney Show.